Let's pray. God, thank you so, so much, Lord. Thank you. Lord, Michelle's a miracle. The fact she stood up, God, just I mean, just last Thursday, you moved her to the rehab, God. Lord, it's just forward progress, Lord. It's just one step. We know that you could say a word or think a thought from heaven and make it go away at a moment's notice. And God, by the same token, you can, you can slow and easy. But God, I thank you for hearing and answering prayers. I pray you continue to touch Michelle, God. I thank you for, for being with her. Continue to be with John. Be with the family, Lord. Keep your peace upon them, Lord. Thank you for all that you've done there. God, I know there's so many that's struggling, Lord, and not just the flu, Lord. Cancer hasn't given up. It's still prevalent in many, many of our members' lives, God, and certainly within the families. And, Lord, just so many going through struggle. I know financial situations right now are hard for a lot of people. And with Christmas coming, it's only going to get worse. But, God, I know, Father, that your grace is sufficient. You told us it is, Father. I pray you'd help us, God. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be pleasing to you, God. I pray. For the minute that's sick, Lord, I ask you to intervene there. Would you reach down and just touch them with your healing hand, God? Lord, I pray you be with us tonight, Lord, as we look here at your word. Thank you for the letter. Thank you for what you wrote us, God, for what you've given us to help us, to instruct us, to guide us, to lead our lives, to help us to live in a way that is honoring to you, Father. I pray you teach us something tonight, God, that we might leave here being a better servant. We love you, Father. Our greatest prayer is that we are doing something pleasing to you in here in this place on this evening, God. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you guys want to want to turn over to chapter 17, we left off there last week. We were at Acts chapter 15. If you remember, um, Paul had made it to Athens. He was preaching there at Berea. And some of the troublemaking Jews had come down from Thessalonica to stir up problems. And it said that the brethren took him and they headed like they were going to go towards the sea. They basically faked them out. They, they ran a, a reverse play and made them think they was going to sea, and they turned around and went to Athens. And we saw there in the text, verse number 15, they conducted Paul, brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus, for to come to him with all speed they departed. We looked at Athens last week at the kind of city that it was. It's a very different place than anything else the Apostle Paul has ever been to. It is a world leader in, in, in all type of forward-moving Things. It, it is a very worldly place, but full of idolatry. Verse number 16 says that while Paul waited for them at Athens, it says that his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Idolatry is nothing new to the Apostle Paul. He's dealt with it his whole life. He's been around it. He's seen it in places. But here he sees this entire city wholly given over to idolatry with all of the, the statues and things there. And what the text tells us that the Apostle Paul's got some time on his hand. So he walks through the city and he's looking at all these idols and all these statues and his heart becomes burdened as he sees the foolishness of men that a man would take something and make it with his own hands and then worship it as a god. And, and he knows the commandments very well. Remember, he is, he is very well trained in the school of the Pharisees. He understands the first two commandments. To love the Lord thy God, have no other gods before him, and, and to not have any idols or to bow down or worship anything. He understands the law and the commandment. He sees this city and this, and this place. So Paul does what he always does. We've looked everywhere since the first missionary journey. The first thing he does is if there is a synagogue in that town, the synagogue belongs to the Jews. And the very first thing he does is goes to the synagogue because there's at least some relationship. There's some common ground because all the Jews would have had the Old Testament. So that at least 
There's some common ground about God. So there is a synagogue here. And it says in verse number 17 that therefore he disputed in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. So he goes to the synagogue because there's always somebody there that's like-minded. Now those at the synagogue in Athens, they would have completely agreed with the apostle Paul about idolatry. They would have had the exact same mentality. They would have had the exact same thought process. They would have had the exact same bitterness because they are schooled in have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any graven images nor bow down to worship. So they would completely agree. But I think I kind of, for, for me, just studying and looking, I think this is about where the church is at in America today. There, You've got this synagogue here, and they know that all of that's foolishness. They know that all of that is sin. They know that all that is idolatry. They know that all that is an abomination to God. That They knew it. They just learned to live with it. They see all the sin out there. They know it's sin. They know it's against God. They, they, they know that, it is, that sin is to be called sin, but they just learned to live with it. It's easier to just, to just let it go, to just let it go unnoticed. We were talking about it at one of the men's meetings in the last couple of days. That's one of the problems with our country as Christians. I'm sorry, it's on us. We've just let it go. We, we've just let it go, and we've just let it go, and we've just let it go, and we've just sat back, and we've been silent, and we've let it go further, and we've not been great examples before children, and we've not set good standards, and we've let it go. And, and listen, we didn't accidentally get to where we are. We, we, we got here by being silent. That's what we see here. This whole city is given over to idolatry, even though it has the synagogues there. Now, I don't know. I'm sure the Jews, when they came out, they probably shook their heads, maybe, at the patheticness of all the idols. They probably complained about it. I'm sure they did. I know I complained about the things going on here, right? We, we complain about what we see on TV, but we don't turn it off. We complain about the commercials, but yet we still keep watching the shows, even though we know the commercial is going to come on. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, as much as I may dread it, I'm going to watch the Georgia-Tennessee football game, Lord willing. I'm going to watch part of it. I may have to turn it off, but I'm going to watch part of it. Knowing that the commercials are going to be there, and you just learn to live with it. That, that's kind of how it is. You, it's, it's not stepping up. It's not calling sin, sin. It's not confronting the things that if God says it's a sin, it's a sin. It's not an alternate lifestyle. It's an abomination before God. It's not an abortion. It is murder in the eyes of God. You call it cute little title names all you want. But at some point, the church, the Christian, has got to call sin, sin. So, so they, it seems like they just kind of stayed back here. They're, they're not going to go out on the street and, and confront sin. The text says that Paul disputed with them. That comes from a word that means to argue or to present evidence against. So Paul reasoned with the Jews. He tries to present them. He's trying to present them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's trying to bring them in, into the New Testament. It, the, the synagogue is there it, it's at a place, it's called Algora. It's the place where all of the Greek goddesses and gods and all the different things are, are brought into place. There's, there's many temples there. There's hundreds of statues gathered around this place. And it's where the public buildings are. It's like the downtown square, if you will. It's a very busy place. A lot of people there. And the Apostle Paul is gathering out and, he, and he's meeting with people. Now, obviously, he's made an impact on some folks. 
He either made an impact or he at least ruffled somebody's feathers. He did something because he got the, atten the, the attention of, of the local officials. It says in verse 18 that certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And, said, and some said, what will this babbler say? Others some, he seemed to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. So there's two major schools of philosophy represented here at Athens. They mentioned the Epicureans. They, found, they were founded by Epicurus. They, they said that indulgence is the key to life. They said that pleasures in this life is the highest thing that can be achieved. They, they did believe in gods. They believed in all these statues. They believed in all these different gods. But they said that the gods were busy being gods. They had nothing to do with men. They had nothing to do with the affairs of men. They didn't care anything. That's, that's their, their belief system. But they believed that, that pleasure was the greatest thing to be sought for in this life. And that a man should spend his life in pursuit of personal pleasures. Now, or pleasures. The, the Stoics are, are the other school of philosophy founded by Zeno of Cyprus. As far as gods are concerned, they believe that, that the world is the body of God. And, and that man should live according to nature. But they believe that virtue was the supreme God. They believe that mankind should be unmoved by feelings, unmoved by joy or sadness or, or pleasure. So they have very different philosophies. They're almost exact opposites. Yet the one thing that we see is that as opposite as they are, they don't mind coming together against Jesus Christ. As opposite, listen, all of the false religions of the world don't mind agreeing when it comes against the Bible. All the false religions don't mind agreeing when it comes against the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what you see it right here, you have two very different philosophies, very different belief systems. But when it came to this preaching of Jesus Christ, they came together because it says he, that they said that um, he, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. That word for babbler there, they, they talked about the black babbler. That, that's a word that means that, that somebody, they picked up pieces of conversations. Like they've heard pieces here and heard pieces there. Y'all know some people that if that was the definition of babbler, that's them, right? They hear little bits and pieces, they put it all together, they make up their own story. That's kind of where if you take that thing and you pass the story around the room, by the time it gets back, it's like that is not what was told at the beginning. Because they pick up pieces of the story. So that's, that's kind of what they're accusing him of here. Is picking up pieces of the story and bringing it around and saying that. But what the Apostle Paul knew was that there's anything that can change this city. If there's anything that can change the wickedness of these people. If there's anything that can change these philosophies. If there's anything that can change the heart of men. It is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now regardless of whether or not they choose to receive it. It is the only thing that can change it. So that's what the apostle Paul presents. They, they, see, they see Paul as this babbler. Somebody just talking, putting together pieces. The kind of thing that, that Paul is referring to really was men like this when he wrote back to, to Corinthians in the second letter, chapter 4 and verse number 4. It says, Whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Paul was referring to people just like these people right here full of philosophy. The world has blinded their eyes. And listen, we see that all around us today. The world has blinded their eyes. The world has blinded their mind. The gospel's right in front of them. They just don't want to see it. 
They're looking for everything else, and that's what we have here. And our text, back to the text, chapter 17, verse 19, it says that they took him and they brought him to Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is? For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. Areopagus refers to the hill of Mars, or as we always call it, Mars Hill is where the Temple of Mars is located. It's the court of Areopagus. It's where they come together and they hold basically judicial hearings. They govern over the affairs of men, over religion and moral and ethics and things. And so Paul is brought here before this council, but he's also brought before everyone present to give an account of himself, but also of this God that, that he speaks of. It says in verse number 21, For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Lord God, what they could have done with Facebook. I mean, it says, hey, their life, some of these people are still alive. That, that's a contagious trait. Because there are some nosy, busybody folks still alive on this planet. And that's what it says. It says that they, that they spend their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. I mean, it's like people literally hung around just listening to hear something new. So that they might go tell something new. They're, they're listening for a new philosophy. They're trying to hear some kind of new thought. R.C. Trench, talking about that, he said, This word means something not only new, but sufficiently diverse from what had gone before to stimulate their curiosity. So this text says there are people, there's a multitude, they're just hanging out around town just looking for something new. And, and they're looking for something to stir up. So the Apostle Paul, he's got something new stirred up, right? He's got all the counsel, he's got them listening. That there's probably there's those that are hanging around just, just to see what he's saying or to see what's going to go on next. So Paul is brought before this multitude, but the Apostle Paul goes right to work. He, he doesn't beat around the bush. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't try to try to soften the blow. He doesn't, he, he doesn't get into to politics or ethics or laws or different things. He, he doesn't try to establish some form of common ground with them. He just goes right to the gospel. Verse 22, he stood in the midst of Mars Hill and he said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. Now, when I, when I was just reading that, or just to read that verse, if I just read through, I, I feel like, man, boy, Paul put a smack right on them. I mean, that was like a slap to the face, you know. He just went right to bat and almost an insult. But anytime you do a word study, you can learn things that things aren't always quite what they seem. Because when I look at that in, in our modern English language, you jump up and tell somebody, you're just too superstitious. That that That's going to be pretty much an insult. I've probably created a barrier there that now I've got to fix back. But that's, that's not what Paul does right here because this isn't really an insult. He's not opening up being argumentative. He, the word that he uses for superstitious, it comes from a word that with them, to them, it would mean that they are more religiously disposed than others. They, they have a better grip on things than others. They, they have a better understanding of all this different stuff. So you you see the difference in, in how that would sound. This is almost like a compliment to these guys. And so now he has their attention. He hasn't insulted them. He said something that may put them in a level that's based, hey, you guys are smarter than the average bear. Yogi, come on up and listen. 
I mean, you guys, you're a notch above. You're a cut above. You're on this council. You're the elite. You ought to have understanding. Come on up and let me tell you what I've got to say. So, you know, it's almost like he's complimenting their intellectual intelligence. So they, they bought into it right here. But, but then Paul doesn't get caught up in all the different gods. See, had Paul, had Paul taken any one of their named gods, any one of them, you, and, and they, had, they had hundreds. If he had taken any one of their named gods and said, okay, let's talk about just this one. And he tried to refute just this one God, then he's become argumentative. If he takes any named God that they have, and he begins to say, okay, look, let's talk about the origin of this God. Let's talk about where it came from. Somebody sat down. They took a piece of wood. They carved out this little figurine. They called it a God, and now you worship this thing. What can it possibly do for you? He's become argumentative, and it begins to build a barrier, but that's not what he does. He takes one of their gods, but the one he takes is called the unknown God. He says in verse 23, he says, as I passed by and beheld your, your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Now, what he's saying again, it's not an insult. You ignorantly worship him. You don't even know who he is. You want to throw a worship there. You know nothing about him. You call him the unknown God, unnamed God. You don't know nothing. So you ignorantly, you're, you're worshiping in ignorance by your own testimony because you say you don't know him. You don't even know his name. You worship him ignorantly. Him declare I unto you. So rather than, rather than debate the futility of their worthless idols, Paul uses one of their own statues as a bridge, if you will, to bridge the gap between where they are and where he is. Rather than try to take on all their gods and tell them, all your junk is garbage, which it is, but you know how that's going to go over, right? So rather say, all your gods are foolish and, and lost and they're nothing. And here's the real God, which is the truth. But you're not going to get there. What he does, he takes one of their own. And he builds a bridge of communication. He puts something in. So, so the now he's talking. He says, you know that, that plaque you've got out there? You know the, the God that you, you ignorantly worship because you don't know him. You call him the, the unknown God? That's the one I want to tell you about. That, that's, that's Jesus. That's, that's the one. I'm giving you his name. You're calling the unknown God. I, I, want, I want to introduce you to, to him. I, I want to I tell you all about him. So in verse number 24, he says that God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. It says, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything. Seeing he giveth life to all and breath in all things. So without saying a word about their useless idols, he said your idols are useless. Without saying a word about their, their worthless traditions, he said your traditions are worthless. He, he didn't say it, but, but you wrap it all up and, and that's what he gave them. Now, I, I'm thinking about that statement that he made right here. He said, he is the Lord of heaven and earth. Dwelleth not in the temples made with hands. Where did the Apostle Paul learn that? You remember in Acts chapter 7 when we did our study? It's been a few months ago now. Y'all know next week will be less than 52. We will officially one year's worth of weeks from the book of Acts. And we're literally doing a highlight. We're not doing a word study. You know, when we start, I told you it would take years if you did a, 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 a 
in-depth study. We're literally just scanning the surface. And next week will be 52 weeks. But back when we were at, at chapter 7, remember when the Apostle Paul had Stephen basically arrested? And, and he had him gathered around there and had a mob around him. And Stephen began to preach Jesus. Now remember, Paul was Saul at the time. And he was the persecutor of the Christians. And he's got Stephen down here persecuting him. And Stephen is telling him about Jesus. Now remember, they, they end up accusing him of blasphemy. And they stone Stephen to death. But, but here, where, where is it at? I put it down for you. Here's what Stephen said. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. That's where the Apostle Paul heard that. He ain't ever forgot what he did to Stephen. He ain't ever forgot being a party of that. You think you've never forgotten your sins? We haven't, right? The devil brings them up all the time in our lives, right? Well, you, God can't use you because you did this. You got all this in your past. You got all this in your failures. Why, well, just last week, you know what you thought? You know, if you could just control the mind. The Bible talks about controlling the tongue. Well, that's, that's just a little short link right in there. It's good if you can catch it before it gets to the tongue. But it's hard enough up here. And the devil puts all this stuff. Imagine what Paul's living with. Knowing what he did to Stephen looking back. You think he's forgot that moment? He quotes Stephen's words right here. The most high dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Right after that, they stone Stephen to death. Paul makes it clear to him here in this meeting the same way that the Holy Spirit takes this text and he makes it clear to you and I. It's not the works of men's hands that God wants. It is the worship of the heart that God desires. Does he want us to work for him? Yes, sure. But, but if our heart is pure, we will. He's not looking for the works of hands as of a show. He, he's looking for us to worship him from the heart. Paul says this is God most high. That, that subscription you got out there about the, the unknown God, he, he is the creator of the stars. He is the creator of the heavens. He is the creator of the galaxies. He is the creator of, of the seas and, and all that is in them. He is the one that created mankind himself, formed him of the dust of the earth, breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, took a rib, fashioned the woman. He is the giver of life. He is the omnipotent, almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God, omnipresent, self-existing, no beginning, will never end. He is the infinite God. Paul is describing this is the one true and the living God, the one that you call the unknown God. He is the one true and living God, but he's not unknown. He's only unknown by you because you don't have a desire to know him. He's only unknown by those who don't want to know him. He's only unknown by those who refuse him. It's you call him the unknown God. But let me tell you who he is. He is Jehovah. He is God Almighty. He is the supreme in the beginning, without beginning. He, he was before and he'll be after. So he's trying to tell him. He says that in verse number 26, he goes on and says, not only did he create all things, not only is he almighty, not only is he all powerful, but here he has made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. See, he just opened up another can of worms right here. He just caused some people to start looking around because you, you got some people in here that think they're better than the others. 
See, you, you got the Greeks. The Greeks think they are the real philosophers. The Greeks are the real inventors. They're, they're the ones that has established Athens. They're the one that has created all this stuff. They're the dreamers. They're not only the imaginative people, but they can build what they imagine. They built these incredible buildings today. As we talked about last week, the most incredible structural piece ever built it is there in Athens. The ruins of it still stand today. And they say it's greater than anything that man has comprehended and built and put together today. See, they saw themselves as the elite. They thought they were smarter than everybody else. But the Romans, the Romans are the world power, right? For whatever reason, we don't really know why the Romans let Athens remain under its own rule. We, we know that they were loyal. They were a, an ally of Rome. Why Rome didn't take it over, we don't really know. But they allowed them to remain under their own government, their own rule. So you got a separate entity over here. And the Romans, they're, they're the powerful nation. They're mightier than anybody else. Which makes them better than anybody else. But you had some Jews in the crowd too, right? And the Jews, they were what in the Old Testament? They're God's people. They're God's anointed and appointed. They're the only chosen of God, which makes them better than anybody else. So you got three groups of people gathered in this group that all three groups think they're better than the other two. And the Apostle Paul says, mm-mm, one blood, one nation, one people. One kind. He, he says they're all put together and puts them all in one. He, he says God has made all men equal at the foot of the cross. There's none smarter, none dumber. There's none better, none worse. There, there's none any different when it comes to the cross. And hath determined the times before appointed. The rise and fall of nations are no different than the incoming and the outgoing of the tide. Everything is in the hand of God. If a nation rises, it's because God allowed it to rise. If a nation falls, it's because God either allowed it to fall or God took it down. God allowed Israel to rise more than once and God took it down more than once. Because of their sin, but because of their foolishness, because of their turning their backs on God, God took it down. America thinks we're on top of it. We're all that in a bag of chips because we got everything. God could take America down like that. He did it with Israel, put them in 400 years of slavery. And you don't even hear from God for 400 years. You don't even hear from him. They're begging, and then he comes back on the scene, and he's heard their prayer. And he puts them back in gift for another 400 years. Listen, everything is under the hand of God. And, and that's what Paul is trying to, to get to these people. He's trying to direct their attention away from their world of idolatry, their, their false gods. He's trying to bring them to the one true and living God. And he has the name Jesus Christ to offer them. He has salvation. And he says, God, God offers equal salvation to, to everybody. There's equal, he's equally sovereign to all nations. So whether you're Greek or Jew or Roman... Makes no difference. The blood is sufficient. When Paul dealt with idolatry in Rome, he also dealt with the unknown God. What would have been the unknown God of them? Romans chapter 1. He said in verse 21, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Here comes another picture of America today. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Boy, that's a really good way to, to sum up where, where we are. He goes on. 
We don't have a bunch of people. I have no kids, so I'll just go ahead and kill all four of them and get it done and make y'all mad. Verse number 23, change. Now, he's talking about professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. They thought they were smart. They thought they had it all figured out. They thought they were so wise and so intelligent, they became fools. And this is what they did. They changed the glory of an uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man. Number one holiday in America is what? Christmas. Everybody, I mean, we start, we already got Christmas stuff. I, mean, I got some Christmas tree cakes last week. I ain't gonna, by the time Christmas gets, I ain't better to button this coat. Man, y'all see all them things? There's some thick ones too. I've been working on them. I ain't gonna put it in them things for a while. It's like, it was October. If y'all been to any stores? I haven't, but I've heard my wife talk about it. Well, I'm just telling you, I don't go to the stores, but they already got Christmas stuff out. That's what she said. They already got Christmas decorations. They got Christmas stuff for sale. Number one holiday. You know why it's number one holiday? Because that's when they make the most money. But you know what the number one worship is for the birthday of Jesus Christ? Santa's stinking claws. They've taken, they've taken the, the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. And to birds. Coming up soon. What's our holiday? Thanksgiving. We're supposed to be giving thanksgiving to God for our nation. The nation that he blessed us with. For salvation. For our family. For our home. What do we do? What do we give glory to? The turkey. And, and then it goes on. He says, and they're also going to change the, the, the glory of uncorruptible God into four-footed beast. Number one Christian holiday in America is what? Easter Sunday morning. What's the biggest thing worship? A bunny rabbit that lays colored eggs. Beatingest thing I've ever seen. But then we just did it, what, two days ago? The number four thing that, that men are going to change the uncorruptible God and they're going to worship creeping things. You know what holiday we just did a couple days ago, right? Y'all know what Halloween's all about, don't you? Y'all know it was formed by witches and witchcraft. Y'all know it's a satanic worship holiday, right? It's, it's not dressed up in cute little tricks. That, that's, that's what we've turned it into so that we can worship it. But it is a satanic worship holiday. That's where it was originated. And, and when Paul talks about you talking about the unknown, unnamed God, he says, he says that you take the uncorruptible God and you turn it into this stuff. And because of that, God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Here in Athens, Paul simply says, let me introduce you to one of your own gods. You, you've got all kinds out here. You claim that this one over here is the God of the stars. This one over here is the God of the little toenail. This one over here is the one that takes care of the left thumbnail. You got a God to make your hair grow and, and a God to make hair fall out. You, you got a God for, for a toothache and a God for a headache. And you got a God for an earache. And you got a God for a sunrise. And you got a God for rain. You got all these gods that you call by name and you give them all credit to. But you got one that you call the unnamed God. Let me tell you about who he is. He, he's the one that, that made heaven and earth. He, 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 is, he is the one true uh, omnipotent God. See, it, it says there in verse 26 that we read it. It made the one blood of all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord. 
If haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. If they would feel after him and, and find him, he be not far from anybody. There is nobody out of reach of God. There is nobody on any planet, in any country, anywhere. The life on another planet, I don't know. I know I'm, I know I'm a nut, but if God is creator God, I'm not naive enough to believe this is the only thing he's ever made. I just don't think we're all that. It, now, whether it was something before or there's going to be something after, I'm, I'm, if God is creator God, and he is, I'm, I'm just not naive enough to believe this is the only thing he ever came up with. You know what I'm talking about? So, so he's, he's God. Whether it is or isn't doesn't change the fact. He's God either way. And, and nothing is out of his reach. He, he is omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. So that doesn't mean he's just he's here and in China at the same time. That means here and in 1939 and in 2269, all at the same time. He's still in the past. He's already in the future. That's how he wrote the book of Revelation. He's already there. He already sees it. He already knows it. He, he is omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. So, so it says, he's never far. Paul said, listen, he's not too far away from you to save you. You're not too far away from him to talk to him. Can, can I tell you, it doesn't matter how much sin somebody's in. It doesn't matter how bad a life they're living. It doesn't matter how dark their past. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter how wicked or how vile they've been. They're never so far that God can't hear them and won't listen. He, say, he says he, he, he's near. You, you, you can see him in his creation. You can see him in everything that there is. There is absolutely no excuse to not know him. There's no excuse to not know that he's there just from creation itself. I mean, they already knew there's something else, right? Well, think about it. They made a God for something, and it still hadn't satisfied whatever their craving was. So they've made another God for something else. But that still hasn't satisfied their craving. So they've made another God for something else. And they've done that hundreds of times. They've got hundreds of gods because they're still looking for the answer. They're still looking for satisfaction. Finally, they have no idea what it is. So they come up with an unknown God. So obviously, they're still searching for something, right? They, they have all this stuff, all that they're trying to worship, all that they're trying to honor, all they're trying to pray to. But they're still looking for something. Paul said he's not unknown. He's just unknown to you, but, but he's not far from you. Because you're not even trying to feel him. You're trying to find your way in a liquor bottle. You're trying to find your way in a pill bottle. You're trying to find your way in pornography. You're trying to find your way in politics. You think the government's going to bail you out. You think somebody in Washington's going to help you. They're, they're looking for everything in all the wrong places. That's nothing new today. That's exactly what they were doing in, in Athens. That's why they kept coming up with all these different gods. They, they were looking for something. See, I, I, just, I believe that's where America's at today. People are looking for something. They're just looking in the wrong place. And, and Paul's got the same problem with these right here in Athens. He's telling them the truth of the gospel, and it's right before them. But that's not what they want to hear. He, he's telling them about salvation, and they want it, but they don't want it that way. He's telling them about eternal life, and they don't want to die, and they don't want to go to hell, but they don't want to hear about the name of Jesus. It's the same world we've got out there today. It's not a different. What we see is that people are people. The bottom line, people 
or people. We are all sinners by nature. We talked about it sometime recently. I don't remember the Sunday morning or Wednesday night about the, the apple and the, the worm is born in the blossom. If the apple's got, when did we talk about that? Y'all don't even remember me talking about that? Did I dream that I preached about that? The worm was born in the apple. Remember I was talking about the Andy Griffin show. And, and Opus said, no, he didn't want to have a worm in it. But if it has a hole, it's really not, there's not a worm in it. If it has a hole, it's because the worm came out. Because the worm was born in the blossom. And it came out, that's where sin is in man. Sin's born in the blossom. We were born with it. It was in there. We're all the same. We're all born sinners. It's all in there. But by the same token, we're all the same because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the word. The the blood of Jesus Christ is forgiveness of sin. The filling of the Holy Spirit is eternal life. We're all just like them. It's not any different. And the things that we face out there on the streets today is the same same thing that the Apostle Paul is dealing with right here in Athens. I'm trying to tell you the name of your unknown God. You, you, you put him there. You yourself say he's got to be out there. I, I, I'm trying to tell you who he is. But by the guidance of Satan, Satan has blinded their eyes. That's what it is. Those of the world has blinded their eyes. Listen, every one of us has been there. Well, I can't say that. I can't say that. I don't know if you have or not. I've been there. I, I, I grew up in church and turned my back and, and ran. I've been there. I've been inviting me to church. <laughs> Wasting your time. You're wasting your breath trying to get me to go to go back to a church. Read the Bible. Why would I do that? Now, anybody know what I'm talking about? Am I the only, am I the only one that's been a heathen? We've, mo- most people have been there. Go to church. Why, why would I do that? I go hunting on Sunday morning. Why, why, would, I, why would I do that? For, for the most part, everybody's been there. But the Holy Spirit just keeps drawing. And the Holy, thank God for his long suffering and his patience. Amen. The, the, the bottom line is, is we have something to tell him. He's not an unnamed God. His name is Jesus Christ. And he is the answer to all your problems. Does it make all your worldly problems go away? Absolutely not. What it does is it gives you strength to persevere and go through them. What it does helps you grow closer to him as you go through them. Whether or not they hear what we have to say doesn't change our responsibility. That's to tell them he's not unknown. You just don't know him, but you can. His name's Jesus Christ. You can know him right now if you're willing to surrender to him. Our job is to tell them what they do with it, that falls on them. Well, I'm out of time. Lord willing, we'll pick up right there. We'll pick up there next week. Um, Paul has their attention now, I'll tell you that. We're going to pick up right there. Paul has their undivided attention. They are adamantly listening to everything he says, at least for the time being. God, thank you so much for this book. Thank you for this letter. Thank you, God, for what you're just trying to teach us. Thank you for calling us children. Thank you for loving us in spite of us. God, thank you for these that are here. God, every family represented. Lord, I pray you'd open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings upon them. Father, I pray you put a hedge of protection about their families. Guide them. Lord, be with those that are sick. God, I pray you'd help each one of us to be pleasing to you. Make us a usable vessel, Father. We love you, God, as our hearts desire to live in the center of your perfect will. Thank you so much for being so good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.